the advantage of the petition process is that it provides really an opportunity for Canadian citizens to ask questions of the government in as direct a way possible outside of question period through members of parliament. This is Defender Radio. Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers brought to you by the fur bearers. Getting governments to change isn't easy. Often, there are roadblocks in the path to communicating an issue, particularly ones related to non-human animals. There are tools out there, however, that are making it easier and more effective for Canadian parliamentarians to hear from constituents and learn more about issues related to animals in Canada. Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, Liberal MP for Beaches East York, sponsored House of Commons petition E3096 drafted by the fur bearers. It calls on the federal government to end fur farming. He's also one of the founding members of the Liberal Party's Animal Welfare Caucus and a new all-party format of the Animal Welfare Caucus. Nathaniel joined Defender Radio to discuss petition E3096, the parliamentary process behind petitions and why some aren't as effective as others, as well as providing background on the Animal Welfare Caucus and how all Canadians can ask their MP to get involved in this important educational initiative. I want to cover off a couple of very quick points on all of this. I I thought the first spot to start with, though, is the House of Commons e-petition process and why it is its own thing and what the relevance of that is to advocates and not even advocates, just Canadians, I would say, the general public. The advantage of the petition process is that it provides really an opportunity for Canadian citizens to ask questions of the government in as direct a way possible outside of question period through members of parliament. And the challenge of question period, one, it's a little bit of theater and the challenge of question period is it's short snippets of a 30 second question and a 30 second answer. The advantage of the petition is questions are put to the government. Ultimately, I would table it as a member on behalf of constituents or on behalf of Canadians and speak to it for a short period of time. So you you do get some time in the House for that to be on the public record. Canadians want this action. That's an important aspect of it. But really, the importance is it requires the government to respond within a set period of time. And those responses are more fulsome than the 30-second clip you get out of question period. And so if you have an issue you care about, you're wondering why the government hasn't taken action on it, and you want to see action from the government, a petition can be a great way to get a response from the government. Now, sometimes that response can be quite substantive. Other times, it doesn't really address the concern in a serious way and and talks around the issue. But just as you see a member of parliament asking a question in the House of Commons, you as a citizen can put those questions directly to the government. Uh, And and it is different than a change.org or care to petition. And I understand there are parts of the world where those are accepted as formal petitions and and can be used, uh, I guess, in the process of governing. But my understanding is in Canada, those petitions are completely meaningless to the government. 
meaningless to the government, meaningless as it relates to parliamentary process, which should not be the case, right? Because mm -hmm. when you look at a change.org petition as an example or, or any one of these online petitions, the advantage they have is they allow an organizer to continue mobilizing on a particular issue. That organizer then obtains email addresses, can continue to effectively build a community of activists that want to see support, increased support for an issue, but also want to see change in the end. And unfortunately, while we have great advantages through a change.org petition for, for those ends, uh, it can't translate to the e-petition or just general petition process. And as a result, it, you don't get that same response from the government. And the great thing about the e-petition process is any Canadian can sign on, like in, like a change.org petition. The, the challenge is you don't get access to that same level of information. You don't get access to the the individual individuals who have signed up to support and who have signed the petition. And so you don't have that same mobilizing function and, and building community function that these other websites have. So in a perfect world, those petitions could be used and they would be able to be certified in a straightforward way. I think that'd be actually a positive change. Absolutely. Um, one of the other things that is good about the e-petition, I would imagine, from the point of view uh, of policymakers, is you affirm to be a Canadian citizen or, or at least a resident yes. of Canada, which I'm not sure what the exact language is, which I know in some issues has been a stumbling block in trying to achieve change, is a decision maker can look at this this petition and say, well, you're not rep like the people on this don't represent the people of my constituency or whatever the the nomenclature of the case may be uh and the the house of commons format kind of requires that um so it is important i think that we have that requirement as it relates to residents of canada i, I would say though that if i have 50 people sign a, a paper petition, mm -hmm. I can table that in the House of Commons and, and get an answer from the government. And so you may have a de minimis rule that says it requires at least 50 Canadians to sign on, but I, I don't think it should be a great stumbling block to say all of the signatures need to be Canadian. So long as, it, consistent with paper petitions, we, we could say that so long as there's a minimum number of Canadians that have signed okay. on, then it, it requires an answer. So there probably is a way around even that. But as it stands, we have our paper petition process, so any Canadian can go off, not so much now in pandemic times, but certainly knock on doors and collect signatures the old fashioned way and build up support for an issue. And you don't need very many signatures to have then someone like me stand up in the house and table that petition and get a government response. But the e-petition process is great because you obviously then open your arms to Canadians across the country and to residents across the country to, to sign on. So there's real advantages, I would say, the e-petition process and the real advantages. So it's not only about getting a response from the government, but it's then also encouraging a movement of people to stand up and, and sign on to something, attach their name to something and, and to care about something. So it does allow for a national campaign of sorts as a call to action, or at least as part of a national campaign to have that specific call to action, which I think is really important when you're trying to raise an issue that the government doesn't yet have on their agenda. And I think the the fur farming issue is an interesting one in that regard. It is generally managed at the provincial and territorial level. However, there's no indication that the federal government couldn't necessarily step in uh, on some of these matters, not to put anyone in the hot seat right now. But um, w in terms of what else we can do about this kind of stuff with the federal government, are these petitions and the engagements, we have a, an action set up to connect with your MP, for example, 
are these kind of the the ideal tools we can be using, or are there other tools people can be using to contact their uh, their their representatives and say like, hey, I've got a real problem with this, and here are some solutions. So a couple of different things. First, I got research back recently from the Library of Parliament that is very clear that as it relates to farming in particular, mm -hmm. that there is shared jurisdiction as between provinces and the federal government, but that the federal government's jurisdiction is paramount. So if the federal government decided to ban fur farms, they could ban fur farms. And mm -hmm. so both legislate, both provincial and federal legislatures certainly have an opportunity to do something on this issue and to take action in a serious way to protect animals and to reduce pandemic risk and to make our society a more humane one. Now, as it relates to what is most effective in getting us to where we want to get, a petition is a useful tool, unquestionably, but there is no substitute for building a relationship with your elected representative and continuing a conversation, not only through one meeting, but through a number of meetings over months, over years to, to affect change. Ultimately, you want to have those conversations not only with your elected member of parliament or member of provincial parliament, but also with other Canadians, because we need obviously social change before we see legislative change. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do think on this issue in particular, which I think there's overwhelming support if one is if one polls the Canadian public, there would be overwhelming support for taking action on this issue. And it's a very modest economic impact, positive economic impact if we want to frame it in that way. But it's a it's a it's a negligible one in the grand scheme of things at great cost to animals and with great risk to for future pandemics and, and, and for our environment. So I do think there's an opportunity for change on this issue as it relates to the Canadian public. It really requires translating that support into the offices of elected officials. And that requires meeting, it requires writing indirectly in a very personal way. And it requires mobilizing in your communities to ensure it's not just you writing, but it's other people writing in and other people calling in. And, and I, I would say personal emails are best. So that it's not simply I clicked a button and 200 people click the same button, but it, you've taken time. And better yet, you are sitting down educating them about the facts of the industry, the, the harms of the industry, not only for animals, but also potential risks for humans and, and variants and everything else. And what other countries have done, I think is a, a really strong component too, that you educate elected officials about how other countries have banned this practice and maybe phase it out over time, that there is maybe a fair way of transitioning the sector into less harmful economic opportunities. There's definitely a lot of options out there, and that's something we've been working very hard on, is finding some of those solutions and staying in touch with the international community. Um, and for those interested, our blog is updated regularly with that kind of information. I wanted to touch briefly on the Animal Welfare Caucus, uh, if you have a moment to talk about that, just to sort of help introduce it a bit, because I think it's a really great initiative uh, being taken under, uh, undertaken by yourself and your colleagues. So I was wondering if you could just sort of tell us a bit about the Animal Welfare Caucus. Sure. So I was down in... Washington a number of years ago, and I met with Earl uh, Blumenauer, who is a Democratic uh, elected official, and he was, he's the Democratic, at, at the time, I don't know if he still is, but w was the Democratic co-chair of the all-party, well, two-party, but, but Congressional Animal Welfare Caucus. And it occurred to me that we should have a similar mechanism in our Canadian Parliament, but specifically in our Liberal Caucus. At the time, 
or around that time, I was still engaged in pushing forward a bill that I put forward, C246. And so there was, even though that bill was defeated, there, there was a lot of momentum in my caucus to take action on animals that we needed to do something. Maybe they didn't, this bill, not this bill, but we needed to do something yes. to modernize animal protections. And so out of that, there was some legislative action unquestionably, but we also, I was one of the founding members, but actually Alexander Mendez from Quebec and at the time, Joe Pescasolito, who is no longer uh, a caucus colleague, he was he didn't win the last election, but uh, at NBC. And so they were the co-chairs of our liberal caucus. And, you know, we pushed on certain issues when we had the animal transport laws that were coming before parliament. We made submissions into agriculture on, on those. So try to raise the voice of animals. We certainly brought experts in and would make submissions to different ministers. So in this parliament, COVID hit quite early and, and we have not had so very many meetings since the very beginning of this parliament in early 2020. But more recently, we've stood it up as an all-party caucus and I took over the chair of our liberal caucus, but decided at least for the first couple, two or three meetings, let's try an all-party format. And so the first meeting that we held was focused on reducing pandemic risk and the connection between the intensive agriculture and the wildlife trade as it relates to pandemic risk. And we brought in experts from not only World Animal Protection, but also the United Nations Environment Program, uh, Zunite Disease Expert, uh, Canada Research Chair here in Canada, and had a conversation about some steps as it relates to a one health approach that the government should be thinking yep. about. And more recently, uh, we had Jan Arden in alongside the Canadian Horse Defense Coalition and an animal science expert and animal law expert to talk about the live export of horses for slaughter. And so we tried a, a big picture conversation on one health and then a very specific conversation uh, on something that we ought to prohibit. And still thinking through how we can be most effective as a caucus and the different issues that we might want to raise, how we maybe feed into the budget process and more. But uh, it is it has the potential to be a really effective tool in terms of bringing expertise in and educating members of parliament. So one one idea that I've been turning over in my mind is as we, we as animal advocates as citizens, maybe one of our asks to our elected members is, th is that they join the caucus because it's a, it's a small ask in many respects but it would then mean that that level of education would continue in a serious way and and that's a pretty soft commitment to ask of an elected member in terms of attend a few meetings every you know every six months as the case mm -hmm. might be at least as on our schedule right now and that may be a way that we grow the caucus on all party lines we've had obviously engagement from our Liberal caucus, we've had engagement Elizabeth May from the Green Party, we've had engagement from the Bloc and from the NDP, and we've, we've also had engagement from uh, a, a few Conservative MPs as well. So uh, there is an opportunity, I, I would say, to build more of an all-party coalition. And if we deem that to be unsuccessful as far as we go, then we can always revert back to a specific Liberal Animal Welfare Caucus that, that did have some success in the last parliament. Yeah, and that's great. And one of the things folks may not know is that such caucuses regarding what is labeled frequently as outdoors or heritage activities already exist and frequently guide policy regarding hunting, trapping, fishing, and all the adjacent uh, activities. That's been around for a, a while, and uh, it they, they can be a difficult bunch to communicate with, in my experience. A caucus, so that is true, and a caucus is also, I view it through the lens of 
potential regular meetings, education on particular topics, and then submissions into ministers. But they also, even if they don't meet so very regularly, they become a mechanism to unite and to organize within when an issue does arise that touches on animal welfare issues and treating animals more humanely. So it, it does, there's promise in that vehicle, uh, depending upon how it is realized, but certainly we've seen the outdoors caucus be effective in its own way at, at times. And the, the, it really comes down to consistency, right? So I, I'm, uh, I've helped co-chair the All-Party Anti-Poverty Caucus, and Art Eagleton started it in 2012, I think, when he was uh, still a senator. And over many years, it becomes a body that regularly meets and has different inputs on, ex on from experts, but also regular conversations from both senators and members of parliament. And I think over time, you can help shape conversations and partly education, but partly mobilizing around specific issues when, when you want to get them done across chambers, but also across parties. So, you know, that I, I it would be good to, to have folks out there who want to see action from their member of parliament on animal issues to simply ask, join the all-party animal welfare caucus and get in touch with Nate. Yeah, that's a, a wonderful thing. We'll definitely help you uh, get out there. And uh, I wanted to to finalize on one question. I've, I've taken you on a bit of a journey here. We were going to talk just about the petition process, but I'm making the most of my 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long year. Uh, for a lot of us, whether we're talking about this from the point of view of not being able to see friends, not being able to go out and experience things, events we're used to doing, uh, Toronto vegeta uh, Vegetable, or that, you know, Toronto Veg Fest, uh, like that, yep. I, I don't, I, it's hard for me to think about not going to that. Uh, it's just been a sort of a staple for so long. Um, and a lot of the ways that we deal with a lot of the stuff that we deal with is through sort of the experiences we have around us. So community is so very important for advocates because that's where we can find healing and support. As someone who is dealing with this, as well as dealing with the, the immense pressures of governance during a global pandemic, what have you found helpful in regards to keeping going forward through all of this? What's, what's keeping your chin up? Hmm. I mean, I would say a few different things, I suppose. One, I'm just very fortunate to have the family that I do around me. I've got a four-year-old, a one-year-old, and a wonderful wife. So just spending, on a very personal note, just being able to spend more time with family has, in some ways, made my life in, you know, I'm, I, I'm credit to Parliament for standing up a virtual Parliament such that I could continue to do the work that I'm doing, but also work from home and, and, and see my family more. So that's kept me going in a serious way. And two, I mean, there are real opportunities to make positive change. And I would say in some cases, even more positive opportunities as the evidence is realized that as we live through these difficult times, it is un unfortunately an example of inaction in the failure to prevent climate change and failure to address pandemic disease drivers, which are oftentimes associated with inhumane and, and unnecessary animal use as it relates to the wildlife trade or as it relates to intensive animal agriculture. And I think there's just a growing body of evidence that leads to, I hope, a call for and a demand for a One Health approach from our national government from international governments and, and working groups, but also at a national level. I mean, you have the UN Environment Program call for a One Health approach in July and a report 
about preventing the next pandemic where one of their top line disease drivers, the very first one is increased human demand for animal protein. Number two is intensive animal agriculture. Number three is the wildlife trade. You have the intergovernmental panel uh, or intergovernmental science policy platform on biodiversity and ecosystem that is calling for one health approach and identifying these same pandemic risks. You have the international panel on experts on sustainable food systems point to industrial agriculture as driving habitat loss and creating conditions for viruses. So in some ways, we it depends if we want to learn from this moment. But if we learn from this moment, there is an opportunity for, I think, really significant change. And that's just as it relates to animals and a one health approach and, mm -hmm. and the science and, and how we treat animals. But I think there are also lessons to be learned that we our social safety net wasn't fit for purpose and that we we've obviously brought great determination to address this COVID crisis with significant government spending and significant new programs that were created in very short periods of time. Well, we could do the same thing when it comes to tackling climate change. I, I think there are lots of this push for equality. I, I think there is this sense of solidarity, which isn't as strong perhaps now as it was early in the pandemic. but still strong enough that when we see Bell and, and the telcos, for example, pay out significant sums and dividends and collect yeah. taxpayer federal subsidies, there is legitimate outrage and for good reason. And so I think there are going to be really hard, serious, and hopefully now more positive conversations as it relates to income, wealth, inequality, and, and more. So, uh, you know, uh, there it has been a challenging year, but I think there's a lot of opportunity moving moving ahead to depending upon how much we learn to learn more about nathaniel's work as liberal mp for beaches east york check out his parliamentary website at beynate.ca that's b-e-y-n-a-t-e.ca or find him on social media Remember, if you haven't signed petition E3096 to click on the link in this week's show notes and take action today. I want to thank Nathaniel and his office team for setting up and sharing this time with me. I also want to thank all of you for checking out the show this week. Remember to hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to get notified of all new episodes as they're released. You can also follow The Fur Bears on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Just check out the links in this week's show notes. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio reminding you to be kind and to stay informed and stay strong.